This episode of Working Lunch is fueled by Hardee's. I've got the classic double cheeseburger in front of me. What do you guys have? Two-third pound Frisco thick burger. Two-thirds. Was there ever any question that, that I wasn't going to order the two-thirds of a pound monster thick burger? Yeah, I mean, a Frisco burger. I, I don't know where else you're going to go. That's pretty much Heaven it. Heaven on a bun. Let's do the show. Can I help you? We need to talk about your flair. I think I'm going to have to go supersize. We need a political revolution. And we will make America great again. On this episode of Working Lunch, The Purge. Carl's Jr. is calling it quits with its controversial image campaign, while the company's former CEO is back as an outspoken voice of the restaurant industry. We'll take a look at who's carrying the message for the industry these days, and who should it be? And as always, the latest labor-related issues that could affect your business models. Hi everybody, and welcome to Working Lunch. I'm your host, Sean Kelly, alongside Joe Kefauver, Carson Chandler, and Franklin Coley here in Orlando, and Joe Rinzel's in our DC office. All right, guys, so it's been an interesting couple of weeks for the former CEO of CKE, Andy Puzder. He's back in the news, most notably with a Wall Street Journal op-ed piece about automation's impact on jobs at restaurants around the country. So yes, he remains a go-to voice in the industry, but at the same time, there is this. Where I come from, if you're trying to move on from something, you use explosives. That is the video CKE is running for what they're calling The Purge. Carl's Jr. is trying very hard to get away from the more controversial image that Puzder led. The company is inviting people to join them online Saturday when they will literally explode some of the marketing items used under Puzder's leadership. That's in addition to their new commercial that mocks the image or reputation the restaurant chain created for themselves over the last couple of years. Here's some of that ad. supposed to be a fresh ingredient. Anybody want to comment on the new Carl's Jr. ad? First of all, it's hysterical. It's kind of like uh, when Keith Offer leaves the office for a week. <laughs> Similar situation. Quickly, guys, is this a marketing play to do something different, or is the company truly trying to put some distance between themselves and Puzder? Carson? Yeah, part of me says, you know, wow, this is a company that looked at the public opinion landscape where we have women's marches, we're talking about paid leave, we're talking about income inequality, and they're trying to reshape their image. Now, the other part of me says, well, the advertising team just basically said, look, there is nothing shocking on the internet anymore. And so instead of getting headlines with scantily clad women, we will get headlines by taking out our scantily clad women. Yeah, the marketing executive for um, Hardee's and Carl Jr. basically said that much. They were looking to start a new marketing campaign. I think there's no doubt that any Puzder's exposure and, and everything else is going on. It's part of that calculus in resetting their marketing campaign. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's that's the key takeaway. It's a business decision. They made a business decision about their marketing program. You know, like any good business decision and, and decision-making process, it's not, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. And of course, these external events came into that matrix, but this was about selling burgers not not about selling or you know not about shirking the old reputation meantime andy puzner is still a voice on the national stage defending the industry 
Do you guys think that Puzder should still be the guy carrying the message for the industry, knowing what he's been through? Puzder, he's going to be a voice in these policy debates moving forward. He has been for many years, and I'm sure he will continue to be. And he's good at it. He does a good job with it. Absolutely. And and there should be a diversity of voices out there. But I think that's the key. There should be a diversity of voices out there. And the restaurant industry would be wise to having other folks step forward from different regions, from different backgrounds, from different political persuasions to talk about how the industry is an industry of opportunity and talk about how some of these political issues affect the industry. Yeah, and I'm not, you know, this is not meant to, to be negative against him or anybody else, but, you know, our industry has been has been utilizing the older boardroom millionaire guy for a long time as our, as our front. It doesn't really, you know, translate well. Uh, to Franklin's point, we need a lot of different types of voices and stations in life carrying the message of the industry. And quite frankly, for the average everyday American, you know, they probably relate a lot better to you know, the manager or you know, the person that pulled himself up, up by their bootstraps but is in the American middle class and not necessarily in the you know, quote-unquote 1%. Does he lose any credibility by having his company sort of distance itself from him in kind of this big, bold public way? Sure, because it'll be perceived by some as that, that that's happening. So yeah, that, that, that hurts a little bit. Tuesday was equal pay day, and one of the people who was out in front, at least on social media, uh, calling for equal pay is Ivanka Trump, who has a new unpaid but official position in the West Wing. So the question is, this is the same person who brought up equal pay during the Republican National Convention. Now she's even closer to her father, the president. What influence do you think, one, Equal Pay Day has on Americans and and business models, but more importantly, Ivanka Trump in the West Wing, closer to her father, do you think overall she has an influence on on this issue? I do. It it remains to be seen if anything's going to come out of this White House or Congress. I don't know where the opportunities would be to advance this issue on the legislative level or the regulatory level. But what, and we've talked about this before, what continues to march along is the pace of this conversation. And certainly in that capacity, both her and the president are moving this conversation down the line. And so whether that results in federal legislation or state or local legislation or employers just need to get ahead of this trend line and start voluntarily offering this benefit, you know, she and a lot of other people are pushing this conversation down the way and and putting it into a position where employers are going to have to offer it or it's going to pop up as a mandate. Yeah, and Franklin and I have given a ton of presentations, you know, since the election and you know, one of the things we've, we've talked about pretty often is there's a long list of things that the White House and the administration, you know, the, the change in leadership has a, a direct impact on P&Ls and the business model and, and so forth. But there's an even longer list where they won't, you know, and talk about wages and benefits and all this stuff playing out at the state and local level um, that the White House really doesn't have an impact on, except for this. You know, and Franklin's right. If she continues to carry this conversation, there's going to be no paid leave law in Congress, probably. This administration is not going to crack down on X, Y, Z under this administration. But if she continues to advance the conversation in, with his, with his uh, cooperation, you know, she could be driving a lot of stuff out 
in the country and people reacting to it legislatively and so forth. And maybe that's part of the plan. I don't know. But I don't think she's going to force administration action. But she can certainly, as Franklin said, the conversation, as we've said a hundred times on this pod, it's the conversation that is a bigger problem for us as any regulation, litigation, or legislation. Renzel? I think it's about the dynamics internally. She is in a place where her and her husband are kind of operating on one side, and you got Steve Bannon and the others on the other side. This has been a tough week for Bannon. He got dropped off the National Security Council. Uh, that's a big deal, you know, and he's walking away from that, and there's talk of he was threatening to quit. So is this the rise of Jared Kushner and Ivanka in terms of their influence internally? I think that remains to be seen, but it's an interesting dynamic that might uh, play out well for, for all involved. It's time for the legislative scorecard. These are the top items affecting business models. Light week overall, but still some news to get to. Let's start with Illinois. This week, a $15 an hour minimum wage bill passed a key House committee. Joe, what happened there? Um, you know, nothing's ever easy in Illinois. It's always a very complicated uh, political calculation. It looks like they're going to get a $15 an hour bill through the legislature. Uh, it, it looks like, but really to, to, to force an unpopular Republican governor to veto it. You know, Mike Madigan, the longtime speaker there, you know, he hasn't been speaker forever, but, you know, you know, he's a smart guy, right? He knows what he's doing. If they really wanted a minimum wage increase, they'd be passing a 12 or $13 bill, and they could get that passed pretty easily, and the governor would probably sign it. But they're going to hold his feet to the fire on a $15 bill to get him to veto it so they can run against it. So long way to go in Illinois to see what happens there. Any other news on the wage front? Nevada? Yeah, a couple quick updates. Not a tremendous amount to report. In Nevada, the Labor Commissioner announced there will be no increase to the minimum wage this upcoming year. In Nevada, it's tied to a cost of living adjustment, so no increase there. West Virginia, we were watching a preemption bill that was working its way through the legislature, passed the Senate. It did not pass the House, so it is dead for this year, expected to come back up next year in next session. Looking over to Maine, uh, we have some pushback in Maine and a voter-approved minimum wage initiative. The legislature is essentially going back and revisiting it. They may add in a tip credit, and they may put in a, a smaller wage for teen workers. And then finally, in New Mexico, the governor officially vetoed the two bills that the state legislature had passed. Both were around $9. So bottom line, in New Mexico, we'll have nothing this year. Renzel, what's new with scheduling? Yeah, so scheduling, you got uh, the state of Oregon coming towards the end of a two-year moratorium that they had in place on cities moving forward with their own proposals. Uh, so they got a bill coming out of the Senate uh, committee uh, hearing earlier this week on restrictive scheduling modeled after Seattle and San Francisco, you know, going to be a big issue for, uh, for, for operators across, across the state. And uh, in Tennessee, we're still waiting on the uh, governor. He's likely to sign the preemption bill on scheduling. You know, that state already preempts wage and leave, um, but he's expected to sign that bill next week. And paid leave. We go over to Maryland, which means we have to go to Joe Kefauver. Yes, sir. All right, so what happened there with paid leave? Yeah, so the, the legislature passed a paid leave bill uh, mandating five days a year for um, businesses with 15 or more employees. Uh, the governor had his own proposal uh, for that only applied to businesses with 50 or more uh, employees. The important part is the legislature passed 
their bill with a veto-proof majority. So you know, we're going to see if Governor Hogan uh, follows through on his veto threat. I kind of think he will at this point, uh, but they have the votes to override it. So um, you know, if I were betting, Maryland's going to have a new paid leave law coming soon. Renzel, anything with joint employer? Yeah, a lot of activity joint employer uh, this year, this session. Arkansas and Arizona just recently joined uh, Kentucky, North Dakota, and South Dakota in passing uh, laws that uh, clarify the franchisee or franchisee employees um, are not deemed employee of the franchisor. Uh, this is a growing momentum across the country. North Carolina has a has a bill that uh, the Senate has uh, joined the House in passing uh, and now moves to the governor's desk. So a lot of activity on that issue this session. How about equal pay? Yeah, equal pay. You had uh, April 4th was equal pay day. You got a couple bills that we're watching. New York uh, and Oregon both uh, introduced bills that um, expressly prohibit employers from discriminating on the basis of gender. Uh, so that's something we'll be watching very closely. Franklin, any activism we should be keeping an eye on? Yeah, as Renzel mentioned, April 4th was equal pay day. So we saw Ivanka and Chelsea Clinton both getting out there and talking about it's all a lot of social. I'm sorry, Ivanka, Ivanka or Ivanka? <laughs> what did I say? Keep going. Why don't you check your iPhone? It's just the iPhone. southern. It's a southern name. You idiot. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> so as Renzel already mentioned, April Fourth was Equal Pay Day. And so there was a lot of online activism around that day. We saw Ivanka. <laughs> Come on. Chelsea Clinton and others um, talking about the issue online. There was some media coverage of it. Um, also in that day, Fight for 15 and Black Lives Matter held events in probably two, maybe three dozen cities across the country. They got a little bit of press attention. There was not a lot of disruptions in restaurants or other workplaces. But expect them to continue to kind of merge those narratives of social why? justice. Why, why, did it, why, does it, why doesn't it come off better? It never seems to achieve the level they, they say it's going to. What happens? I, I think this, on April 4th, I think it was more of an internal exercise to rally their own people up is much more and to kind of bring together the black lives matter activists and the fight for 15 activists but did um, we learn anything from it whether is it did anything special happen that we can give a heads up to operators about what's coming either next week or on may day yeah and I, I think we're just going to continue to see this trend line of the racial justice the social justice the economic justice messages being kind of intertwined and that's that's a challenge for a lot of brands and a lot of operators um, similarly, uh, along those lines, we have the Day Without Immigrants protests coming up on May 1st, May Day. And uh, this week, a whole bunch of labor groups and immigrants' rights groups announced that they're going to be participating, helping lead actions. They're claiming there's going to be 400,000 workers that go and strike that day. So we'll see. But I, I suspect that restaurants are going to have operations disrupted on May 1st. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw these groups kind of jumping on the bandwagon. So if, um, if, if they were anticipating that it would not be a, a, a great event, you probably wouldn't have seen them kind of at the, at the 11th hour jump on the organization of this thing. So I think they think it's going to be bigger than probably they anticipated. So something to watch for. 
All right, let's get to the Paul Revere segment. This is when we talk about an emerging issue that we're looking at and tell you what's coming around the corner. And this one really kind of comes out of a Wall Street Journal headline that we've been reading and talking about. And the headline is, has the movement to raise the minimum wage reached its limit? Franklin, you talked about this long before the article came out. What do you think is the answer to that question? I think the short answer is yes. And... You know, we've seen we've seen minimum wage advocates win in most of the jurisdictions where they can easily win, and so now they're pushing in jurisdictions that are they're just tougher. They're tougher places to win. At the exact same time, you know, you've got a lot of jurisdictions, and these are the yet again these are people that are these are jurisdictions that are not necessarily one hundred percent favorable, worried about the economic impacts. So, what do you see coming around the corner? So coming around the corner, I think you a couple things, but I think one of the things you're probably going to see is a lot of the jurisdiction where it's easy to get a minimum wage win, the New York Cities, the San Francisco's, the Seattle's. You're going to see these groups going back to those jurisdictions and other issues, equal pay, equal pay. wage theft, whatever it may be. Um, because as they start moving out away from those cities, they're running into serious headwinds. I mean, Baltimore is... They should be able to win in Baltimore. They should be able to win in Montgomery County. If they can't win there, they're going to have a lot of trouble winning elsewhere. And, you know, it's just interesting to kind of see this dynamic play out. One of the other things we've been talking about in this office, too, is even in jurisdictions where, and we see this in Maine right now as well as some other places, even in jurisdictions where there was a big minimum wage increase, lawmakers and policymakers are going back and tweaking it and addressing it because they're worried about the impacts. But it's, it's, it's an odd time right now for the whole labor community because, as we said after the election, you know, they put a lot of money into this election cycle and got absolutely nothing out of it. And so they're reassessing should how should they be playing in politics? What should they be doing with that money? And conventional wisdom, let's, let's double down in some of these other policy campaigns. Now they're losing those. So does that, that, that money and that energy... It's got to go somewhere. I know the SEIU is facing a bunch of budget cuts. You know, I'm sure there's a, a, a very uh, heated argument going on inside that organization about where they should be investing these dollars. Traditional, get back to basics, organizing. These issue campaigns don't seem to be, even though they're winning the conversation we always talk about, they're not winning the legislation, even in friendly places. So there's a lot of turmoil right now in, in, in labor world. Renzo, what's your take on what's coming around the corner? I think one of the good points Franklin was making was about how these states have to end up going back in and tweaking uh, some of these initiatives that are passed by the voters at the ballot box. You know, that that's something that legislators probably don't take lightly. Uh, but at the same time, those those ballot initiatives are passed with one or two sentences trying to go after the emotion, trying to get that yes or no. Uh, and they don't often contain the important pieces of legislation that actually make it function within the existing law. Uh, so there's a balance there, and I think as activists react to that uh, and legislators try and legislate, you're going to continue to see conflict in a lot of these different environments. I think that's a slippery slope. I mean, it, these you know these ballot initiatives, especially with regard to minimum wage, are not passing within the margins. They're not close. These things these things are passing easily, even in very red states. So. Uh, when, when things are passing fairly easily at the ballot and then the legislators intend to go in there and 
quote unquote fix things or or you know turn back the will of the voter that is a political position i think we should be very wary well, of well and and brands and you know that may be drawn into some of those battles need to be very careful because they may be perceived or seen by voters as working against their interests something they voted in so just a just a, something for brands companies to look out for we end this episode of working lunch with something i really didn't want to have to say Congratulations, Franklin. Your North Carolina Tar Heels are the national champions. That's right. Do you have a Sean, comment? You really about, didn't need do, to go there. Do you have a comment about the season? Um. Oh, it looks like that's all the time we have for this episode. We'll talk to you again next week on Working Lunch.